So uh, our speaker this morning is Justin Brines. Justin is from Kaleo Community, and uh, those of you not familiar with Kaleo, they gather here uh, in the evenings or late afternoons. Um, and we have been in partnership with Kaleo for many years now. Uh, and Justin, I know, does not want long introductions, um, but I wanted to say just a word or two about him. He is a person that I think um, does not just speak words of wisdom, but actually lives them out. Um, he is a pastor in town that I would, with all of my heart, communicate that what he says, he's also doing his best to actualize, to live out in his relationships with people he knows, in his neighborhood, in the ways he invests in community. Uh, all of those things he does with a, a deep sincerity. Uh, and I, I don't say this lightly. Of the pastors in town, he is a man that I admire. Uh, the way in which uh, he walks with grace among people uh, is a great thing. And I have a, a deep respect for him. And I'm excited because he's going to share out of Ephesians this morning. We've been in this book for a little while. We're close to wrapping it up. We have this week and next week uh, to kind of conclude the last little part of Ephesians. So if you would, welcome Justin with me. Man, that's kind of like one of those introductions. Now we have to see if I can live up to it. So, uh, no, thanks, man. Um, that likewise, I've, there's a lot of joy in my life with uh, the relationships I get to have with a lot of folks connected to this community, Russ and Kevin and Julie and Dave and various other folks, so thanks for having me. Um, as one of my friends said, I always travel with my adult sippy cup, so there you go. Um, uh, just a couple of other maybe words of hello, because I've always thought it's a little interesting when you show up with a group that um, you get to talk a lot and they don't, so I, I don't know, I, I want to give you a few things maybe to to decide if you still want to listen, and then some ways that you get to participate, too. Uh, so my name's Justin. I do live right up the hill, like 17th and Bernard. Uh, so seriously, if you're riding by, walking by, like need a drink, want to hang out for a minute, you're welcome. I live there with my wife, Hannah, of 20 years, and uh, our four crazy kids. Uh, I'm not so sure we planned it out the best. I have a really great 15-year-old who's like this tall, a student at LC, uh, almost finishing up his sophomore year. Uh, all the way down to a little surprise baby girl named Lucy who runs the house and who is uh, almost four years old. So you're always welcome. I have no clue who's going to be wearing clothes or not, and uh, <laughs> we'll make a go of it. So seriously, uh, it's good to be with you. Um, so you guys, as Russ said, are just walking through this letter known as um, Ephesians and almost to the end of it. We're actually going to look at a text in just a moment that is kind of one of the final things that we see the author, uh, Paul, really wanting to convey, and I think continuously the Spirit wanting to convey to all of us who are seeking to follow Jesus in specific times and places, so we'll get to that, but just before we do, um, I'd love to hear from you for a moment. I mentioned, again, I don't think I should just participate. There'll be a few things today we do where I'd love you to really uh, share your voice, um, share your personhood with us. I think this is a communal thing when we enter the text, the scriptures, the life with God that um, the scriptures call us into. So question for you, and just feel free to respond, please. Like, I'd love to hear what's caught your attention, um, what's fueled your imagination, and maybe stuck with you as you guys have walked through Ephesians. Anything? 
You know how Ephesians begins, or maybe you don't? Like, look at it sometimes because it is, oh, it fits in so well. It's this beautiful, like, Paul being caught up with who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what that means for us, right? Adopted into all of this, and and we belong, and and you know what's beautiful about it? It just kind of heightens with, like, all this good news, and it is the best run-on sentence in the world. And if you were my teachers, or even my wife now when I write some stuff, she's like, you gotta edit that stuff, man. Um, But you find this long, run-on, rambling, I can't control myself introduction of who Jesus is, and what he's liberated us from, and what he's brought us into, and what is ours because of the work of Christ, and the mystery of it all that actually we've had it revealed to us, I mean, it's just beautiful. Uh, That's something I just have to keep going back to. Um, One more, and then I'll shut up and let you talk a minute too. Uh, So I think it's Ephesians 2, probably one of my favorite texts, the part where it says, the dividing wall of hostility between uh, Jew and Gentile, and I think though the way it's even written, it's very right to say the dividing wall of hostility between any people group, any person has been broken down, obliterated, completely crushed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And now those of us who were all at odds with each other and just couldn't get along and, and, and couldn't just figure out how this is supposed to work, now we become brothers and sisters. And it's this message, um, the way it's proclaimed, this gospel of peace being proclaimed, that has been one of the things throughout my life that I have found deeply liberating. I grew up in, um, in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, honestly, as a young man, um, I'm not a young man anymore, I'm in my 40s as well, but... Uh, as a young man, I just had no use for the life of the church, and I actually was very um, hostile in my attitudes and opinions of God, because people I knew who claimed God and who did this thing called church were the same people who were uh, involved with some really harsh, segregating realities amongst people groups. And I thought, what the, yeah, I mean, like, how, how is this supposed to really work out. And then I meet Jesus as a 19-year-old, and I experience that gospel of peace personally, but I also experienced it with, I uh, lived in a house with about 20 other uh, guys. We were all coming out of various addictive kind of ways of living, and it was honestly one of the coolest things, this collection of very, we were from so many different ethnic backgrounds and life stories, and um, I got to live in that. And it's just, it shapes me, even to this day, how I live and how I think and how I hope. Does that, guys, the the dividing wall of hostility, there isn't one. So if we even feel ourselves being drawn into one or someone says there should be an us and them, that thing has been killed in the death of Christ, yeah? I mean, that one captures me. Does it capture you? Can we just for just a moment talk about that? Like, just practically, what have you guys been trying out that help us... um, dismantle the fake wall what 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 have you been trying out like i'll give you a couple that have helped me and i'd love to hear from you because i think if this doesn't become something we can live into don't want this to offend you but i think we're just wasting our time this morning we should be out doing something else um so i think one of the things i've found that can really lean into that is um and i know maybe for me part of it's my personality but but as I meet people, I'm finding, and I didn't always do this, but I'm finding it more and more kind of a desire of mine to, we meet, and then just saying like, hey, can I buy you a drink or whatever, and um, man, tell me, I want to know you. Like, I want to know 
versus like, I want to know you and correct you. Like, I want to hear from you. I want to hear. I want to learn. I want to listen. Uh, in relationships I've had for a while, I've started a practice of asking people, what's it like for you to be in relationship with me and then just shut up and listen? So I did that with my wife, Hannah, one day when we were walking around Manitou. And uh, we walked around Manitou like a long time that night. Uh, but it helps me realize where I'm still putting bricks in the wall. That's just one little practice for me. Have you guys found any practical things that are helping you dismantle that division that actually has already been obliterated, that we still sometimes maybe participate in or feel compelled to? Like, already this morning, I feel like there's some things I can go practice that are caught up with this reality of what Jesus has done and is doing, and that we, the church, are witnesses of and participants in. You get, I mean, this is pretty great, actually. This is pretty exciting. This is worth living in. Would you agree? Yeah. And this stuff is what has always changed the world and is the world and will change the world. This is it. Uh, some of my Haitian friends taught me this, this proverb, piti piti zoiseau finis, little by little the bird builds its nest. It's these things, day in and day out, right where we live, right out of who we are, that bring life and love and change. So let's keep doing it. And I just felt like we, we shouldn't just read the text without seeing how it already begun to shape our imaginations and our living. And because what we're going to look at today is kind of, it even begins with the word finally. It's like built upon everything else we've been looking at. So if we didn't kind of at least to backtrack for a moment, I don't know. I don't know if we'd be able to listen super well or enter it super well. And so we're going to read this text in just a moment. Um, and before we do, though, I was thinking about the text we're going to read in Ephesians 6, and there's an old songwriter that had a line that I came across years ago, but it fits, because the text today has this kind of final words kind of um, vibe to it. And, and this quote went like this. Uh, the songwriter said, I want to leave you with something. Will you take it to heart? Are you a closing statement or a parting shot? And I feel like the statement... The quote is really helpful um, in understanding even what Paul was trying to do with his friends that he sent this out to. Uh, a few things we know about them, that they were very much a minority group in the midst of a lot of powerful forces. And we've lived long enough that I think sometimes we have to make that decision, what are we going to be in the midst of things that aren't right? What are we going to be in the midst of powers and situations that aren't right? There is by all means a time to raise our voices and do various acts of protest and, and resistance, at least I believe so. But how do we do that? Is it come across just as this clamoring thing, or is there something to offer the world and how we live that, that causes people to take notice, that kind of begs people to pay attention? And I feel like what we're going to look at in a moment, Paul was giving to his friends and, and giving them a way to be this closing statement for the rest of their days that just deserved people to take notice, and people did. And I think it's a question that I want us to consider today as we hear it. When we leave in just a minute, what kind of people will we be? Will we be offering something that's compelling, something that, oh, or will we be offering just this kind of um, canon approach into all of the things that are broken and negative? How will we roll? And I think this text will help us in that. So would you stand up with me for just a moment? And if you're so, uh, if you're cool with it, if you don't want to, you don't have to, but we're going to read the text. Um, 
And I'll, it'll be on the screen, and if you'd be so kind, would you read it out loud with me? And again, if you don't want to, you don't have to, but here we go. Finally, brothers and sisters, draw your strength and might from God. Put on the full armor of God to protect yourselves from the devil and his evil schemes. We're not waging war against enemies of flesh and blood alone. No, this fight is against tyrants, against authorities, against supernatural powers and demon princes that slither in the darkness of this world and against wicked spiritual armies that lurk about in heavenly places. And this is why you need to be head to toe in the full armor of God so you can resist during these evil days and be fully prepared to hold your ground. Yes, stand truth banded around your waist, righteousness as your chest plate, and feet protected in preparation to proclaim the good news of peace. Don't forget to raise the shield of faith above all else, so you will be able to extinguish flaming spears hurled at you from the wicked one. Take also the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray always, Pray in the Spirit. Pray about everything in every way you know how. And keeping all this in mind, pray on behalf of God's people. Keep on praying feverishly and be on the lookout until evil has been stayed. And please pray for me. Pray that truth will be with me before I even open my mouth. Ask the Spirit to guide me while I boldly defend the mystery that is the good news for which I am an ambassador in chains. So pray that I can bravely pronounce the truth as I should do. And this is the word of the Lord to us. Thank you. So what I'd like to do for just a couple of moments is um, look at this image we've been given, and then we'll conclude our time working together. Um, and we'll get there. Kind of creating something that we'll leave with as well. Um, but I want to just really quickly highlight these words, these instructions, this real, like, impassioned plea that Paul is making to brothers and sisters and through the Spirit to all of us. Put on, resist, stand, and pray. Um, okay, I don't know if you've seen, uh, I've never been a guy who people have said is really fascist conscience or good at that kind of stuff, so I'll just play that. But I've been seeing all these pictures, apparently, like, of dudes wearing rompers and stuff. Um, and so I mention that, and I'm not going to put that up there. But, uh, but I, this is something to put on today, okay? So if you need that image, like, it is something we're going to, like, wiggle into. And, and we're going to put something on today. So we're going to do that. The, the next word really calls us into this place of, of withstanding or resisting. And I think we live in a day where there's a lot of talk about resisting. And I think this text has some real wisdom for us uh, that I hope we'll hear and apply and walk into. Um, this idea of being unwavering, of standing firm. Um, I don't think you need me to tell you we live in a time that is so full of anxiety. And out of that anxiety comes all kinds of uh, broken ways of living that crush and destroy and separate and in the midst of that, because our brothers and sisters at the time that this letter would have been circulated, they were walking through similar things, uh, maybe different names, different kind of ways that was being kind of revealed in the world, but 
But in the midst of that, um, there's something in what we're looking at today that can help us stand, can be, for us, I think people who aren't um, thrown by that stuff, who actually can be a non-anxious presence in the midst of all this. Um, And then we're called to pray. I love that line, pray always. Pray in the Spirit. Pray about everything in every way you know how. So we're given these really and like strong instructions, and I do want us to pay attention to them. And to help them really hit home, we're given an image. And I think it's a really provocative image. I think it actually is used in a really wonderfully subversive way, and we'll unpack that for just a few moments. So verse 11 started and said, put on the full armor of God. And I want to start there because I want us to notice whose armor it is we're putting on. Um, we were talking beforehand, and I've been around church life for a little bit, so I didn't know, like, should I, like, try to dress up in, like, one of my little kids, like, armor things from they were, you know, small. That would look really gross for me and you, so I'm not going to do that. But, like, there's been all this talk about what we're putting on, and and I don't want to be insensitive or rude, um, but sometimes I've heard talks about this being focused on, okay, every morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to put on this thing, and I'm going to put on my things, and it's almost presented like I'm going to go out in this solitary Don Quixote kind of way and, like, conquer the world. Um, but what we find out right from the beginning, this is why this is so provocative, is this isn't really about us standing in front of a mirror and putting on things. Um, this is about us remembering what this whole letter has always been, what is already ours, and just saying, will we live into it or not? Because the armor described here is actually God's. I don't even know if we notice that. Put on the full armor of God. And we find that as Paul is giving this image to his friends and to us, a couple of things are going on simultaneously. One, he has this life kind of um, built upon, this imagination that is fueled by what we call the Hebrew Scriptures. And we have this image in the Hebrew Scriptures, for instance, in Isaiah 59, 17. Um, Isaiah 59 is interesting because it talks about this deep need... um, for God's justice to be brought to bear. Uh, God's people, if you read through it, it it's, it's, it's depressing. God's people had been participating in all these unjust ways, and, and they had been um, getting over on people and not living in any way or form uh, in line with you know, what God was all about, this light to the nations, this good news for all the peoples. And, and they even come in in that Isaiah text and even confess that, yeah, we can't even do this thing of, you know, knowing right from wrong, we are just completely um, off. And in the midst of that, um, it talks about God coming to make things right. And listen to what it says, but God's equipment in this was that of no ordinary warrior. He strapped on righteousness as his breastplate and put on the helmet of salvation. Um, And this is interesting because it says he was wrapped in vengeance for clothing and passion as a cloak, and God was prepared for war. Uh, as we'll get to in just a minute, it's interesting that that is the image that Paul is bringing this from. We get to put on what God is, which is all that Paul's been doing in Ephesians so far. That run-on sentence at the beginning, we get to put on what is already ours. We don't have to um, manufacture it. We don't have to try harder. We don't have to, like, work up something. It's ours. You and I have all of the righteousness all of the belonging, all of the salvation, all of these things, they are ours. And it's something about being aware and putting those on. What's interesting, though, is in that Old Testament text where God is coming to correct his people, and he's coming at them angrily, because these are his people who are supposed to be a light to the nations. And this text in Ephesians 
where we find vengeance mentioned in the Isaiah text, we actually talk about, in Ephesians, the gospel of peace. And we'll come back to that. It's quite interesting. But this is God's armor. This is Paul remembering that image of God as warrior and saying, oh yeah, that warrior God who brings all that we need, all that we can't provide, all that is good and right and makes the world work, put that on. And that's been revealed to us in Jesus as he's already told us. Um, the other image that I think permeated his existence and the existence of his hearers that kind of merged with this was he, he tells us he's this ambassador in chains. His daily life is one caught up with seeing uh, guards in their full armor set up. So he has this picture of, of God, and then he has this picture that he and his friends know of this living in this occupied territory, you know. Uh, this is what they see. And so he gives us this really interesting image. But it is provocative because he's leaning more towards the image of God than he is the Roman kind of guard idea. And so I think that's important. Let's find God, the God who has made himself available to us. Like seriously, every day, we get to live with him in deep communion by the work that Christ has done, by the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to do anything to make that happen. It's ours. So what if we just woke up each morning and said, I'm going to live into all of this? where it begins and it's asking us to do it with some determination with some um focus with some memory in place it goes on to say put on the full armor of god to protect yourselves so do any of you have like um like okay that's a dumb question never mind um we all have this thing of self-preservation do we not uh my son was looking the other day on next door he's wanting to get some jobs for the summer and was trying to figure out a few things and and he, he just made an observation, like he wasn't making some huge commentary. He's like, Dad, I went on to check about like mowing jobs and stuff, and everything I saw was about people being like weary of someone walking down their street. Like everyone was saying, hey, beware, someone in a truck that had a taillight out was driving down our street. And I'm like, I got a taillight out in my van. Does that make me sketchy? Like, I don't know what to do with this. Like all of the ads on there, though, were about beware. Like this sense of like, maybe we're not safe. And if we've lived long enough in the world, things happen. And we can really develop, I think, this over-sensitive um, kind of thing of self-preservation. What's interesting here is Paul wants to address that with his friends and us. Put on the full armor of God to protect yourselves. But it is the kind of protecting that is beyond the fear exemplified in my good friend next door post. It's this thing like, you remember when Jesus said, don't fear those who could kill your body. And that's kind of a radical thing. Don't be afraid that this thing might be harmed. And I know that's hard. And that's why I think we need a community to remind us of whose we are. But be the kind of people who have this deep awe and understanding that it is God who both protects and can control our destiny, right? And in this text, it's like, put this thing on. Put this identity that God has given in Christ on, and it will be your protection. So as we head out to work, as we walk down our streets, as we raise our kids, as we live in our neighborhoods, as we try to figure out our bank accounts, as we try to figure out our career paths, there's all this anxiety and fear around, will it work out safely? But what if we put on this identity that is ours in Christ, this being, this stuff that we're looking at today? it actually promises us that we will be all right. And I think we need to tell each other that every day. As we go into this world, crazy things may happen. 
Remember Jesus saying that? In this world you will encounter trouble. But what does he say? I've overcome it. You're okay. And this thing we're looking at today is something, that, again, that puts us in this place of not being afraid because it brings protection. Now, what is the protection, though, against? Let's be really specific. It says it's not against. Let's start with that. This protection, and this is really beautiful, this armor isn't to protect ourselves from other people. Can we just all agree that when the text says this thing, this battle, this warfare is not against flesh and blood, can we agree to do whatever we need to do to remind each other of that, that we are not fighting people, even the people we hate? They are not the problem. This is old now, and it's past, and you don't want to hear it, and I don't want to talk about it, but I remember when all the election stuff was going on, I saw this really beautiful post somewhere, and it was a, um, a photo of uh, the two leading candidates at the time, um, Hillary and, and the Donalds, and, um, and it was pictures of them as children side by side. And I had to look on that day after day. And that's kind of what this text is saying. Man, regardless of where you stand on your philosophies of those things, those folks aren't the problem. People who have differing um, political values, values about the meaning of life, values about how they want to raise their kids, values about, I mean, honestly, people are not our problem. Someone said it, thank you. Can we all say it? People are not our problem. The problem is that there are spiritual forces at work in the world. And they will lurk, and they will work, and they will deceive, and they will cause us to respond in inhumane ways to humans that God has created in his image. That's the thing to watch out for. And I have to watch out for it, and you have to watch out for it. This is what we need to be telling each other. Remember... All these folks are folks that Jesus deeply loves and who are made in his image. They are not the problem. The problem is that when Jesus gave his life on the cross sacrificially and then was raised from the dead, he did indeed completely conquer the powers. But the powers, we have this residual, almost fake power that they still have until he returns that we're dealing with. And they still try to work their plan and they still try to get involved in our systems and in our houses and in us. And that's what we have to watch for. So we have to understand the safety that we're being offered. The protection is not against flesh and blood. It is against the schemes of the devil and spiritual forces. We need to tell each other that every day. I think that comes back to some of the earlier things we said. Sitting with each other and asking questions. What are you loving in life right now? What's really agitating you? What are you afraid of? What's causing you stress? Can we name those things? And then collectively, could we be the kind of people who remind each other, it isn't the boss, it isn't the coworker, it isn't the spouse, it isn't the kid. It's something completely sinister and other working. And let's tell the truth about it and let's put on God and live through it. That's what this is saying. And I'll just mention something. There's a lot of really beautiful rhetorical stuff in this text we're not even looking into. Um, but sometimes people think that we need to name these various four kind of spiritual powers and stuff. 
I don't think that's what's going on. The, the literature of it, to say it, is rhetorical amplification, making it clear that it's not flesh and blood we're fighting against. It is these powers that I think you guys have probably already looked at in this, in this trek through Ephesians. And so then we're, we're given kind of this life we get to put on, and I'll just move through this quickly, where it says, Yep, stand with the truth bound, banded around your waist, with righteousness as your chest plate, your feet protected in preparation to proclaim the good news of peace. Don't forget to raise the shield of faith above all else so you can extinguish flaming spears hurled at you from the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, we get to put on the truth of the gospel that says we belong. We sang some songs. I didn't know them, but I'm like watching the words and taking it in this morning. We sang these songs this morning about being completely reconciled to God. We get to put that on every day as the thing that holds it all together. And what's beautiful in the way this text is written, it's when we put on that truth about who we are and, and what God has done in the world and what the world is for, this beautiful reconciliation work of the gospel of Christ, when we put it on objectively, it then begins to shape how we live or our subjective reality. It, it shapes how we live as faithful people of the gospel. So we're to put that on, and we get that the one and only himself. We're to put on righteousness. One of the things that I think it's worth paying attention to is the word righteousness um, we find in the New Testament is really tied to the Old Testament concept of justice. To divide those from one another, to just make it about right standing with God, which it is, but to take it out of the idea of we also act righteously, we do righteousness, misses the point. And Jesus himself even brought that up. He says in Matthew 5.20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of all the religious experts, it's nothing. Righteousness that we're to put on is the kind of righteousness of taking those walls down that we were talking about earlier. It's doing justice in the places we're planted. And then as we go do that, what do we have? This is what's beautiful. If anyone has a right to um, reenact, or to not reenact, but to to deal with evil in a way of vengeance, it's God and God alone. The people of God are called and only called to demonstrating and proclaiming a gospel of peace, a gospel of reconciliation, a gospel of we all get to belong, a gospel of taking down walls. If we are giving ourselves to anything that looks other than the gospel of peace, it is not the gospel we have been given, and it is not the gospel we are to proclaim at all. I mentioned that Ephesians 2 text earlier. I just, I can't get away from it, so I want to read it to you again. This is what we're given to put on. He is the embodiment of our peace, sent once and for all to take down the great barrier of hatred and hostility that has divided us so that we can be one. He offered his body on the sacrificial altar to bring an end to the law's ordinances and dictations that separated Jews from the outside nations. His desire was to create in his body one new humanity from the two opposing groups, thus creating peace. I love this. Effectively, the cross becomes God's means to kill off the hostility once and for all so that he is able to reconcile them both to God and this one new body. We have a gospel of peace. And there is no true gospel, objectively or subjectively, that doesn't include the reconciliation of persons to one another. It's not just about being reconciled to God. That's like 
severing it and making the gospel a corpse, we have a gospel of peace that gets involved with each other and does some of those practices that we've already talked about so we can go practice in. And then it's interesting, the way even the wording says, and it, it makes a big deal, don't forget to do this thing that's really important. We have information, and now it's just a choice. Will we act on it? Will we raise our faith up, so to speak? Will we live in faith, believing that Jesus has us, he's got our back, he's got our future, and one way or the other, this body of mine will wear out. So instead of living in fear, what if I trust him? What if I live in faith? What if I proclaim the gospel of peace? What if I live into these other things? He kind of is challenging us through the spirit that we have enough. We have all that we need. Let's act on it. Let's use our faith. Let's be people who are strong in faith. Don't forget to use it. I remember early on, I don't know where I got this from, but I kept thinking God was going to do a thing and make me live the way I thought I wanted to live based on what I had heard about Jesus and the gospel. I kept waiting. I kept waiting for like some, some thing to happen to me that would make me be more loving, that would make me like engage in the way of Christ. I kept waiting for a certain feeling. I kept waiting for like more willpower. I don't know where I got that narrative from, but somehow the Spirit was going to do this thing in me. And then one day it was just like, oh, Jesus, you did actually say follow me. Really active, like start doing the things I do. Being people of faith, trying it out. That's what the text is calling us to, be an experimental community who trusts Jesus. And then it says, take also. You have this image of the soldier being ready. Again, Paul's borrowing this from his context. And someone comes and places the helmet on them and hands them the sword. And it's kind of cool because everything else that's been talked about so far um, involve us doing something. But these are purely gifts from God. And can you just hear that? The, the helmet of salvation... We hear salvation probably in a lot of different ways. In its most immediate way, Paul is saying, in the midst of all this craziness, you just need to know you're going to be taken care of and delivered. God's got your back. And God puts that confidence on us, the helmet of salvation. Salvation and being more about deliverance, um, being cared for, being rescued. And then we're given what? We're given the word of God. You know the biblical imagery we have of the word of God is often um, God speaking, his breath and his words coming out and it accomplishing whatever needs accomplishing. Things being created, his enemies being dealt with. The idea here is that we have been given the same. As we open our mouths to proclaim what's true, to proclaim the gospel of peace, and then we actually get to see flourishing and good things happen. I mean, this is ours. We don't have to do anything. We just have to like actually open a mouth and proclaim it. It's there. So this is the stuff of the text. And thanks for being patient with me. So I, I want to bring it to a conclusion with this. This is all good information. But how could we maybe be empowered to live in it imaginatively, freely, experimentally? Uh, if we don't get it right, like one minute, we don't just throw the whole thing in and get frustrated and throw shame on ourselves or each other. This is a long-haul thing of standing, of remaining, right? How could we do this? So Paul borrowed an image from his own context, right? And it's a pretty good one. But here's my concern if we just borrow the image for us. Military images in our day don't work super well, in my opinion, when trying to explain the gospel of peace. 
It's not that they can't, it's just we don't usually use them that way. We use military images for conquest and power and overthrow. Another little thing that I think helps us understand just how provocative and subversive this image was, even for Paul's usage, is, again, his friends that he was speaking to, um, they were a huge minority. So to use a strong military image for a huge minority, I think, can be really helpful and encouraging. Don't take offense, but many of us, if not most of us in this room, probably aren't living in a place of being a strong minority. So to take on more images of power can be kind of damaging, I think. And so I've been thinking, like, what, what might we do? Like, how might we take this idea of putting on God, and, and what might we do to live imaginatively and in an awareness? And what images might we borrow from our surroundings? What, um, if we're going to put on, resist, and stand... Again, what images might we adopt as a community? And this could totally crash and burn, but we're going to end with this. And so I'm going to just put that question up here. I think we have a slide for that. And again, it's, it's, again if we're going to live in this, what we've heard today, what imagination-forming images might we adopt? And I'm not saying that the scriptures aren't good enough. I'm just saying I think there's something for each time and place, for each people group, to reimagine how to live faithfully in it. So with these things in mind that we've talked about, um, I even tried this week to come up with one over-encompassing image, and I just had to tip my cap to Paul and be like, you got me, man. I don't have one. Uh, But could we just talk for a minute? If we're talking about living in these things, are there any images that we see in the world around us that maybe we as a community could kind of borrow to kind of help strengthen this? Because I think once we start living in that place from imagination, things start to really happen. Versus just, I got some info, I'm gone. So this could completely not work, but let's try it. Are there any images, based on what we've heard today, that we could borrow from the world around us, that as we wake up in the morning, and we want to put on Christ, and put on this life that might help us? Paul used a military one. What could we use? So can I just invite us all, though, to do a few things? Here it is. We are completely and deeply and wonderfully accepted always by the creator of all of this. Who has revealed himself for Jesus, who says, follow me, you guys, follow me. And follow me into this gospel of peace. Remember what you're fighting against and what you're not fighting against. And remember, you're in it together. So take some time to be playful with this, to be imaginative with this, to experiment with this, to remind each other of this. That's one of the things I've always actually loved about my interactions with new community is I think you're a pretty beautiful community from what I know, and I'm not even a part of you. But you have a good um, reputation of being a community who leans into this. So just as a friend from the city, I would say, please lean into it. Please remain. Please stand strong. Please remember what's real. Please put on the God who is completely yours and who has completely got your back always.